I would um, like to begin asking for patience or an apology. Because you see, normally they put the buffet line after the preacher. Today they put it before the preacher. And let's just say all bets are off. <laughs> but it is, it is, uh, it is uh, I'm sincerely thankful uh, for you being here, uh, for the opportunity to be here, and uh, for our time together this morning. There are many other things that um, we all could be doing, that you could be doing uh, with your time today, and that you uh, chose to spend some of it collectively with us in a celebration is truly a gift. And uh, please don't take such a welcome as a, a perfunctory sort of obligatory thing, but, but, but please receive it sincerely um, with great appreciation. Uh, we preachers say thank you a lot, and uh, we do mean it uh, almost all of the time. <laughs> I do want to say, though, and, and I want to begin with the, the question, I'm, I am uh, unsure um, why I am here. Not at breakfast, I understand why I'm here at breakfast. <laughs> But why I'm here in this pulpit, in this podium, offering a word to you because um, I feel unqualified in just about every way to be standing here with you. Two years ago, uh, our mayor, Jackie Sargent, stood here and she spoke and she said the exact same thing, that she felt inadequate and, and not up to the task. And afterwards, I waited a long time to talk to her and I told her, you are more than qualified. You have wonderful degrees from both of those schools down the road. And you're a community leader and a mayor. You're more than adequate and more than qualified. And now, Jackie, I truly understand what it means to stand here and not know um, what it is or, or why it is. Preaching every week, having degrees on my wall, living uh, 38 years, almost 39, only heightens the inadequacy. And to make matters worse, last Friday I was in Atlanta for a meeting with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, and on Friday afternoon had time to spend at the King Memorial, um, a place I've been many times, and um, walking through those places and, and reading words and experiencing that once again humbles me even more, makes me feel like I'm even less up to the task. I think of the words of, or the, the titles of the books by Soren Kierkegaard, that philosopher who had won book of sermons titled Without Authority, and I hope you'll trust that it is with both great fear and trembling and as one without authority that I stand here today. To that end, through prayer and through inspiration and, and, and through the work of Dr. King, I think today what I have done is prepared a word for myself. This is the word that I need to hear. This is the sermon that I need preached to me. And so I hope you'll see that not as a trick or a conceit or a rhetorical device, but maybe rather confessionally. And maybe in some ways there'll be a word here uh, that is helpful to you as well. In a sermon offered called Conquering Self-Centeredness, or a speech given in Montgomery, Alabama in 1957, Dr. King said, an individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines his individualistic concern to the broader concerns of the community. As Ron said, I was born in Michigan. I was born to a, a half-Finnish mother and a half-Finnish father in a mining town called Houghton. It's also a, a college town, and it's a place 
that boomed with copper mining over 100 years ago. That part of the world was the envy of mining companies throughout the world because the copper was easy to get and it was very good. And so it's for that reason and others that I don't know that my family, my, my, my ancestors from Finland moved over here about 100 years ago. As a part of that community, we all consider ourselves Finnish, even though I'm only half Finnish, or finished, maybe, sometimes. <laughs> and even though my grandmother was from Nashville, Tennessee, and met my grandfather when he was in the service, and even though there were biscuits at my table, every time she cooked breakfast, uh, it was an upbringing that said we were Finns, that was who we were. But in 1983, we left home, my dad had a job with IBM, which when it doesn't stand for International Business Machines Corporation, stands for I've Been Moved. <laughs> we moved in 83 to a place near Dallas, Texas, in 85 to Miami, Florida, which is a wonderful place for ignorant or, un or naive elementary school kids to live. In 1989, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia, which was where we were going to settle only 14 months later to move back to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I grew up in a town called Keller, Texas, that, took, that, that has taken the trajectory of a place like Apex, a town just outside the big city that is now no longer recognizable uh, for what it once was. But I had what I thought was a typical childhood. Suburbs, things there were normal. I knew a few of my neighbors. Knowing all of them was not nearly a requirement for living on the street. Things were quiet. Lawns were well kept. I didn't know what small town life was like. I didn't know what life in the South was like. The history of our country, the reality of the struggles that many had endured, and so many of the things that Dr. King advocated for were things that lived for us in history books. Not across town. And I suppose that's why this is a message for me. Because we didn't know what we did not know. We did not know that things were not like our life everywhere. We did not know, in some ways, how good we had it. And we had no idea how different our life was from the lives of those who have gone before us or who lived in states next to us or near us. And I guess that's what happens when you live in the blissful ignorance of the sidewalk-lined suburban streets. It's a luxury you get to have. In his book, Where Do We Go From Here?, Dr. King asks this question, how responsible am I for the well-being of my fellows? The full quote goes like this. All too many of those who live in affluent America ignore those who exist in poor America. In doing so, the affluent Americans will eventually have to face themselves with the question that Eichmann chose to ignore. How responsible am I for the well-being of my fellows? To ignore evil is to become an accomplice to it. Certainly, as an adult, it doesn't take long to start seeing things differently. My eyes have been opened up, and for the last 15 years I've begun to see that the things that I thought were bound inside of textbooks are actually more alive than I ever wanted to know. I knew about slavery and a slave trade and a mistreatment historically of African Americans, but I did not get to see that. 
I passed quizzes on the Underground Railroad and Harriet Tubman and George Washington Carver and even Jim Crow, but I had not borne witness to the residue of such things that still remain. And of course, like all good students of a certain age, I had a reasonable understanding of who Dr. King was and what he did and why his work was important. But when faced with an opportunity to write a report on a famous black American, I was steered towards Henry Aaron and his 755 home runs, which were certainly remarkable, and his life was certainly remarkable, but not what we celebrate today. Such an an upbringing leaves me feeling so inadequate today because there is not much I can say and there is nothing I can say from my experience. And then to stand in the historic sanctuary at Ebenezer Baptist Church on Auburn Avenue in Atlanta, Georgia just three days ago, to listen to Dr. King give sermons on tape, such an experiencing experiences is almost crippling to someone who lets who tries to let a little bit, little bit of emotion in. And then you read the plaque in front of the eternal flame across from his grave, which says the eternal flame symbolizes the continuing effort to realize Dr. King's ideals for the beloved community, which requires lasting personal commitment that cannot weaken when faced with obstacles. I feel like all I'm fit to give today is a confession. To confess ignorance and apathy. To confess that there is so much more that I do not know, do not understand, and too often am unwilling to dive into and learn. So forgive me. uh, Forgive me. Forgive this message from a still uninformed person. As I witness, as I grow, as I learn, as I absorb, I become more angry about the ways that we all fall short. And I see that every day I have even more to confess. I speak wrong. I think wrong. I act wrong. And in so many ways, I reflect the spirit of the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 who says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can do what is right, but I cannot... I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. And if you're just have your mind spinning around the Apostle Paul right now, that sounds about right. I confess that I am yet formed into who it is that I need to be in order to lead people in matters like the ones that face us today. But I think, I hope, I hope the beauty is that Dr. King would still invite me in. He would still want me to try to lead. He would still draw me and all of us forward, and he would still give us a chance to help us all overcome. Because when I consider his words from the sermon, Loving Your Enemies, a sermon offered on Christmas in 1957 at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, I see him say, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power of love. 
There is some good in the worst of us, and there is some evil in the best of us. And when we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. That's the thing about Dr. King's work. Everybody was continually being drawn in. It was not, a, it was not stale work. It was not stable work. It did not settle for justice for one set of people. It was justice for all people. After the Civil Rights Act was passed, he pushed to the Voting Rights Act. After the Voting Rights Act was passed, he moved on to, to, to issues like the Vietnam War. And had he lived beyond the Vietnam War, I believe he would have pushed again. He would have pushed further. Because Dr. King was a preacher and a leader. And the gospel that he had given his life to at that Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, was that one that continued to pull him forward. And it calls us beyond where we are to where we can be. And we will not be where we can be until every one of us is driven by the call that we all shall overcome. In his address, the other America offered at Northern Ohio University, he proclaimed, whether we like it or not, every Negro is a little bit white and every white person is a little bit Negro. Our food, our music, our language, our cultural patterns our material prosperity are an amalgam of black and white. There can be no separate path, black path to power and fulfillment that does not intersect with white roots. And there can be no separate white path to power and fulfillment short of social disaster that does not recognize the necessity of sharing that power with black aspirations for freedom and human dignity. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutualities. John Donne was right years ago when he said, No man is in an, in an island by himself. Every man is a part of the continent, a part of the main. Donne goes on to say towards the end, Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. Therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. This must be recognized as a fact of life. We are interrelated, and only through recognizing this will the problems be solved. When I was first asked to speak about this several months ago, speak today several months ago, the thing that came to my mind was the closing hymn we'll sing, We Shall Overcome. My son came home from school last week saying, We learned a new song in music class today. It's called We Shall Overcome. He said it was a slave song that we all can sing. The thing is, in my sanitized suburban experience, we shall overcome with something I may have learned, but potentially as a cultural relic. In fact, for so much of my life, we shall overcome has been narrated as something that was someone else's song. Someone else had to overcome. Someone else might need to overcome, but when they do, they'll get to where I am. Maybe if they overcome, they will reach the dream. But the fact is, the true fact is, peace, goodness, happiness, and what we all long for will not happen until we shall overcome becomes a song that is not just someone else's song. We shall overcome to borrow from Dr. King, is not just when people are lifted out of the valleys, but when every mountaintop is also made low. 
we shall overcome is not just when others find their way out of the rough places, but when we find ways to make all places smooth and all crooked places straight. No one will overcome until we figure out how everyone can pray and struggle and stand up for freedom on their own, not just when they pick themselves up by their own bootstraps, but we all shall overcome when we find ways to do things together. Truly together. We cannot see that until we shall overcome becomes our song. Because when it's someone else's song, when someone else has something to overcome, then our work is not done. My work is not done. We have not overcome. But I have hope. I have hope in part because of Dr. King's oft-quoted saying, we must accept finite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope. I have hope with God's help I will change. I have hope with God's, with God's help we can change. I have hope with God's help our song, all of our song might someday be that we shall overcome. Because if someone needs to overcome, we all have a problem. We all need to overcome our shortcomings and struggles with racism. We all need to overcome our fear and shame. We all need to overcome our desires to keep safe and prosperous to the detriment of others. Overcome our desire to stay on top, forgetting that a rising tide raises all boats. And overcome, like a meme from the Facebook that I saw last week that said, I'm not interested in competing with anyone I hope we all make it. Amen. I have hope. I hope today that in a nation that is so polarized and continually more polarized because the way the news reports is based on who gave the most outrageous soundbite today, I have hope that we might overcome. And such hope was assured recently to me when. My son, the same one who naively sings, We Shall Overcome, responded to news on the radio about the recent presidential debate. Now, we don't talk about politics much in our house. We don't push candidates. So you can imagine my surprise when he says, if I could vote, I would vote for President Obama. I like him. He's been president all my life, and my life is good. Yeah. And so he says, I would vote for him again. I'd like to have him as my president. <laughs> Saying that brings a bit of tears to my eyes. And they're not tears of joy because he agrees with me or tears of grief because he disagrees with me. Rather, they're tears of hope. Because my second grade son sees an African American as president and wants it to happen again, not because of the color of his skin, but because of what he perceives as the content of his character. And goodness knows, I didn't do anything about that. He did it on his own. And when that happens, when all of our second graders begin to see that, it means we're on the way to hope for our world. Because it means that he will be equipped innately for something that most of us have had to learn. 
he will not have to learn how to overcome in the ways that we are having to do so. And so, my dear friends, I thank you for the opportunity to speak today. It is always nice for a preacher to get up and talk to a big group of people. It's what we fancy ourselves as being able to do. But more than that, I thank you for the chance to to preach to myself. To speak to myself. and, And I thank you for the chance to look into myself and see what is it that I need to do. Where is it that I need to work? How is it that God is working on me so that we all might overcome the small obvious important problems, but also the big, long-suffering problems that will always hinder us until we shall overcome becomes a song that we all know we all need to sing. Today I want to close with one more quote, and I could have very easily repeated Dr. King, but instead I want us to look back just a few days ago to the State of the Union address when President Obama said, So my fellow Americans, whatever you may believe, whether you prefer one party or No party. Our collective future depends on your willingness to uphold your obligations as a citizen. To vote. To stand up. To stand up for others. Especially the weak. Especially the vulnerable. Knowing that each of us is only here because somebody, somewhere, stood up for us. So stay active in public life. So it reflects the goodness and decency and optimism that I see in the American people every single day. It's what I want to see in Granville County in Oxford every single day. And so I pray that we all may do as it has been spoken and in doing so provide space for everyone, every one of us to overcome. Thank you.